following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, good morning. Good morning. Mm. Um, I've... Um, Um, I've really been struggling with what I want to talk to you about this morning. Um, there are two things on my mind, and I'll probably just share both if you can stand it. Um, so let's pray, and we'll ask the Spirit for His help navigating. Mm. Father, again, we thank you for the time we are together as a family I thank you for making us family by the blood of your son, Jesus. I thank you for calling us to repentance, to turn from our lives of sin, and to follow you with all our hearts. We can't do that on our own. We need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to intervene. Help us, Lord, to turn from our sin and turn completely to you in a life of faith and devotion to the Lord Jesus. Father, we ask that your spirit will speak to us now as we open your word and talk about some things. Um, I need your help. So, Lord, we just ask that your spirit will speak to us as a family. We're here for you and not for us. In the Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I really want to just keep plugging in 2 Timothy 2, and we probably will. But before we get there, we have something we need to talk about as a family. Um, as most of you know, Crossroad Church is a fairly new work um, here in Ossipee. This building has been here for a long time, but the work here um, is not that old. Um, We were replanted after the closing of Ossipee Valley Bible Church here in 2012. Some of you were here that day. When we met for the last time as Ossipee Valley Bible Church here in this room, we voted as a church that... We should close. And Ossipee Valley Bible Church was closed that day. But we also decided to form Crossroad Church in its place. And when we did that, we adopted a whole new set of uh, guidelines that has shaped who we are as a family and how we behave uh, at least as a church. Uh, well, I, maybe I should not have said that at all. Anyway, we don't have official board anymore, and we don't have congregational votes. Instead, the shepherding and oversight of our church family was entrusted to the elders, a group that looks now very different from what it did Early on, we had several men come in from other churches to come alongside and help us, other pastors of different congregations, to help us get started. We wanted to align ourselves 
as a church family as closely as possible to the church that we see in the New Testament and do our best to live our lives together as a family as we sought to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And this uh, idea of doing this as a family is very biblical and also very foreign (laughs) in our culture today. Church is an event that you attend. There's singing, there's preaching, there's praying, there's giving, and there's living. And we don't, maybe some of you still operate that way. I can't make you do anything different, although I'd like you to. Uh, we participate in this life together as a family. Um, and th- that makes things very different. And there are copies of our foundational document or articles of incorporation or bylaws or constitution. We don't know what to call it. It doesn't really have a name. Um, there are copies of those things. Um, if you want one, if you don't have one already, I would be happy to provide that. Just let me know. And most of the thoughts that are in that document are here at work in the midst of our church family, whether we're aware of it or not, really. Um, But there is one item in there that I think um, will be very noticeable when its turn comes around. And that's what I wanted to bring your attention to this morning before we get into the word. And that item is the pastoral sabbatical. Excuse me. I would like to read that for you. I have no idea. I have no idea why this is emotional for me. Pastoral sabbatical. The preaching elder, pastor, that's me, shall be eligible for a three-month or 90-day sabbatical at the completion of every five to seven years of ministry. At the pastor's discretion and sense of need, the timing of such sabbatical shall be at the completion of every fifth year. A sabbatical becomes mandatory at the end of the seventh year if a sabbatical has not been requested after the completion of the fifth year. Full pay and benefits will be provided during the pastor's sabbatical. The Council of Elders may decide to cover any additional sabbatical-related expenses to provide the pastor with opportunities for personal enrichment, such as sabbaticals, conferences, uh, seminars, conferences, travel, etc., Easter Sunday of this year completes the seventh year of ministry for me here at Crossroad Church, which is wonderful (laughs) and bad news because I am required to take a sabbatical. So all that to say I will be taking a sabbatical from June 1st to September 1st, approximately. (sighs) Big baby. I want to be very clear that sabbatical is not vacation. It will be three months of work for me, and work that I'm not very good at is the work of rest. 
There will be some time away with my family. We will take vacation. But there will also be some time away from my family. Some time in desolate places to just be alone with the Lord. The purpose is rejuvenation, retreating to the wilderness to pray like Jesus often did. The elders will take care of preaching duties, whether preaching themselves or asking others to come and share the word um, with the family. But I won't be here. I won't be here until the final weeks of my time away. My phone will be off, my email shut down, and Facebook Messenger disabled. The elders will be able to reach me in an emergency, such as a death or major calamity in the church family. But other than that, I won't be available, so please don't die just to get my attention. This will be a great opportunity for growth for our church family. There will be opportunities for others to step up into ministry roles while I step back. Opportunities for us all to be a little stretched and move beyond our comfort zones. I think maybe you're getting the picture. This is my comfort zone, and I don't want to leave. I will miss you all very much. Yeah. Don't miss me yet. I do know that this is best for me and it is best for us all as a church family. It has become very apparent to me in the last year that I should have taken sabbatical after year five. I'm toast. I'm toast. I will be happy to answer any questions that you might have either now or later. Um, please feel free to reach out to me um, or to the elders so we can set any fears at ease or deal with any concerns that you may have. <sighs> See why well, I only want to talk about the scripture, not about this. Amen to that. <laughs> Believe me. I, yeah. Is there any other questions you have at this moment I can try to answer? No? That's fine. If you think of anything, please come talk to me. If you think to yourself, well, my job doesn't give me three months off, why should yours? I'll be happy to explain the difference between your job and mine. Um, I don't say that to ward you off. I really, I, I don't want anyone to be upset any more than me about this. So, all right, that's part one. Now we can turn to scripture unless you have anything else you want to talk about. Thank you, and I love you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, ha, suck it up. We're going to move on to Second Timothy. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. 
I'm glad there's four boxes of tissues up here. It's a mess. I'm going to hold on a second. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7, which is page 9, 9 of 5 in the Pew Bible. 2 Timothy 2. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he complete, competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. May the Lord's blessing be on his word. So Paul, here in this short uh, section, uses three pictures of three people that were familiar to Timothy. Um, in order to encourage him to persevere in the ministry that God had called him to. These three individuals would be very familiar to Timothy or to anyone, really, that has read these. But I'm, I must admit um, that I have very little personal experience with either one of these three because they are things I've never really been. Um, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but... These, I think these pictures are familiar enough to each of us that we can also be encouraged in the ministry that God has called each of us to. So to make sense of this, I want to look back quickly at Luke 14, 28 through 33. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a, yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks him for terms of peace. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Paul, the apostle, had personally displayed this idea to Timothy and to us and the rest of the church throughout the ages that there is a cost involved in being a disciple of Christ. And in 2 Timothy, he reminds us of what that cost can actually be in each one of these pictures. The first picture is that of a soldier. He says in verse 3, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. What do we know that sets a soldier apart? What makes a soldier a special picture for us to learn from? Our thing is the soldier is dedicated, completely dedicated. His life is set apart for service. 
That's the cost of being a soldier, being willing to give up your life in service to the king. When a soldier is asked to do something by his commanding officer, a smart soldier says, yes, sir, not why. Why would I do that? That's dumb. Um, I don't think that's a good idea. A soldier says, yes, sir, and does what is told because he has sacrificed his life, whether or not he's living. He has already sacrificed his life or her life in service. For our military, there are clearly no days off. Those of you who are veterans can attest to this far beyond what I can imagine. I never served in the military. And that is one of my life's great regrets. I have, however, worn the uniform of a Marine, and I have worn the uniform of a private in the Army. But they were both for theater productions, so it does not count. Far from the real thing. And the point is that wearing the uniform doesn't make you a soldier. It doesn't make you a Marine or a sailor. You have to enlist. You have to put your whole life in the hands of your commanding officer. That's what's required. There's a Bible word, maybe you've heard of it before, that means this same thing. Do you know what it is? It's holiness. Holiness literally means to be set apart. Set apart for God's use. God is the king. Jesus is the king. We are set apart as soldiers for his use, completely dedicated. Look at Jesus' example in Mark 14, verse 32. It says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus' mission here on earth was to do the will of his Father. Jesus was dedicated and he was set apart for God's service. He lived a life of holiness. He also lived a life of sinlessness. But we can confuse those two things because they don't mean the same. When you see a somebody's holier than thou, what does that mean? It means that they, uh, they act like they don't sin or they come across like they don't sin. But that's not what holiness means. It doesn't mean glow in the dark and walk on water. And that sort of thing. To not, to be sinless means to be without sin. That's easy. But to be holy is different. It's set apart. Set apart from the world. Set apart from other people for God's work. That's what Jesus was. Set apart for God's work. He put his mission before his own interests and his own welfare. There in Mark, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see that Jesus didn't want to be crucified. 
But the mission he was on was more important than his own personal well-being. It was far too important for him to just say, uh, Father, uh, no, no thanks. I don't want to do that. Hmm. This is what the Father asks of Jesus, is what Paul asks of Timothy, is what the Lord is asked of us. The same dedication. That is what's, it's God's will that matters and not our own. So that's the soldier. Let's move on to the second picture, the picture of the athlete. Verse 5 says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The soldier is dedicated and the athlete is obedient. He plays according to the rules. Now, obedience is a, is a popular topic. I think everybody likes obedience. I love being told what to do. It is my favorite thing. Right? Isn't it yours? Well, we know we've also been told not to lie. So um, I think just think of all the old hymns. Remember the old hymns about obedience. Right? The whole catalog of them or all one of them. Because there is only one. Trust and obey. Right? That's the only one. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I should have sang that this morning. Too many chords for me. Sorry. Um, years ago, I coached Treg at Moldenboro Academy. Uh, shot put. That was what I held with the most. I don't know about if you know anything about shot put, but there's like three rules, really. Um, three or four. And the, the three main faults in shot put, what gets you disqualified... It's, it's, they get the circle on the ground. If you step out of the circle in your wind-up or whatever, you're disqualified. If you step over the line, which is really a piece of cement, so if you go over it, you're going on your face. Um, and then there's a there's a field you have to throw in. You have to throw the shot pit between the lines. That's the three rules. And you have to throw it like this. You can't throw it like football to push it. You can't win if you don't follow those Simple rules, right? I use shot put as an example because there's only four. You know how I feel about baseball, but we'd be here for a really long time. <laughs> Talk about all those rules. It's already a long sermon. I'll make this disclaimer before we go any further. Obedience, what is required of the athlete, obedience is not how we earn salvation from good. It's how we say thank you to God. It's how we act because we are saved, not how we act in order to get saved. Okay? I want to be very clear about that. There was a saying years ago in my first church. The Bible is our only rule of faith and practice, church order and discipline. And I would like to point out that there is a difference between knowing the rules and following the rules. But you do have to know the rules in order to follow them. We have simple rules in our house because we have to know them all. Rule number one, don't be a jerk. 
That's at your household. You have different truths. Don't hit Kenny. Right. We keep them simple so we know them. But knowing them doesn't do you any good if you don't follow them. I know rule number one is to not be a jerk. However, sometimes I don't follow that rule. Paul uses the example of an athlete or runner twice in Scripture. Uh, let's look at the other example in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. I know we do a lot of jumping around, which is out of our pattern, but oh well. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The cost of being an athlete is preparing and yielding to the rules. The runner doesn't run aimlessly. He must know the course and follow the course to win the prize. Simple, right? Ignoring the boundaries is grounds for disqualification. The shot putter could get the shot put to go a lot further if he shot it out of a cannon, but that's not how you compete. That's You can't win that way. Jesus also provided an example of this. Jesus obeyed God in all things. He was without sin. He lived a life of yieldedness. He never put his interests before his obedience to the Father. You remember when Jesus was um, tempted by Satan in the wilderness just before his public ministry began? He had every opportunity out there in, in the stones and dirt of the wilderness. When we think wilderness, we think of like back there in the forest. That's not the wilderness Jesus was in. You're in the wilderness out there, you get hungry, you catch a squirrel and eat that. In the wilderness Jesus was in, there's nothing. It's stones and dirt and dust, nothing. I've seen it with my own eyes. He had every opportunity in the midst of that wasteland to have his physical needs miraculously met. Every way to get his ego served and attest how far his heavenly father would go to protect him. All he would have to do is say the word or bend a knee or take one step off the cliff. But Jesus knew the rules. He knew how to please his father and he obeyed God and proved his dedication and willingness to endure the hardship of hunger and the allure of power and the temptation to test God. He yielded his life and his will to God because he was running the race to win. Paul's third example is the farmer. Verse 6 says, It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Well, this, we think about these pictures. A soldier is dedicated. The athlete is obedient. And what about the farmer? What do you think of when you think of farmers? How do you think of hardworking? Yeah? The farmer is dependent. 
That is not what I think of initially when I think about a farmer being dependent. It doesn't sound right. Farmers hardworking, living off the land, providing food for themselves and their family by the sweat of their own brow. Sounds more like independence to me, doesn't it to you? But what does a farmer really do? Some of you have much more farming experience than I do. Uh, my farming experience is limited to pumpkins, giant pumpkins, pumpkin, that one time. So think about what a farmer really does, right? This is like a plant-growing farmer, not a herdsman type of farmer, okay? Think about a farmer. He prepares the ground, doing the tilling and the fertilizing. For me, he's putting potting soil into a Dixie cup, right? The farmer sows the seeds. The farmer waters the seeds. And then what? He waits, right? He hopes. Farmers don't make plants grow. They might be able to do everything to make good ground for them to grow, but he can't make them grow. He depends completely on God to make them grow. I think more fervent prayer has been set up, sent up by farmers than by any other kind of person in the world. And when the crops do come, the farmer enjoys the result of his hard work and God's providence. And what's unique about farmers is that they do work very hard, but they rely completely on God for the results. And Jesus, like the farmer, worked hard and depended on God for the results. He walked the countryside with no place to lay his head, preaching the good news while people despised him, plotted against him, and eventually arrested and crucified him. And why? Why did Jesus do that? For the joy set before him. For the joy of getting the results, the crops. What are those crops? It's you. It's me. I'm looking at it here. We are God's field. It's the joy of reuniting God the Father and men and women. Only God could produce those results. We can't do it on our own. Only God can provide the harvest of souls. Jesus was willing to do the hard things for the sake of uniting God and men through a relationship with him. The cost of being a farmer is hard work and trust. And like a farmer, Timothy and we need to till the soil. We need to pray for our neighbors that God will soften their hearts and give opportunities to us to share Christ with them. And like farmers, we sow the seed. We, I know this is going to sound revolutionary, but sometimes we actually have to say the words of the gospel. We have to tell people about Jesus. We can't just live fool ourselves into thinking that we can just live like Jesus and people will get it. Look, Jesus lived like Jesus and he still had to use words to communicate the gospel to people. All right? So do we. We have to actually tell people about Jesus and the wonders of his love. 
And like farmers, we have to water the seed. We have to encourage the growth of the seed of the gospel. Sharing the gospel with someone is not always a one-time event. It's not always all at once. Sometimes it's just saying a word. Sometimes it's being nice to someone who is unfamiliar with rule number one and acts like a jerk. We have to continue to water the seed. Like farmers, we trust God with the results, and we must also be ready to reap the harvest. It seems simple, and it doesn't really sound like hard work, Hmm. but if it's so easy, are there empty seats here, right? Hmm. It's hard work. Let me put it to you this way. If you want a piece of pumpkin pie, you plant pumpkins in your garden in order to raise a crop and then make a pie? Or do you let someone else do the hard work and just go buy a piece of pie at the restaurant? The truth is we don't want to do all the work. We just want the pie. We trust someone else to make it for us. Don't trust me to raise your pumpkins. My giant pumpkin got this big. That's That was it, farming over. I no thumbs. They're not green or black. They're just gone. Some of us may just be wearing the uniform of a soldier, but are still dabbling with civilian affairs, things that distract us from our mission. Some of us are cutting corners, We're running, but we're skipping third base because the umpire is not watching. Or running the race just to finish, but not to win. Some of us just want our pie and are willing to let other people do the hard work that we're called to do. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. The challenge for us today is don't stay that way. While you are still breathing... There is time. But the day is coming where your breathing will stop. And there's nothing else you can do. So do what you can today. Don't stay that way. Instead, decide today to be a dedicated soldier. Sorry for you sailors and marines. The Bible used the word soldier. Sorry. Be holy. Be set apart for God's service, regardless of your chosen vocation. Decide today to be an obedient athlete, completely yielded to the word of God and the will of God, holding the Bible as your only standard of faith and practice. Decide today to be a dependent farmer, to do the hard work of the gospel, and trust God with the results. Trust God to produce the harvest. And at the end of all things... We will enjoy the rewards due to dedicated soldiers and obedient athletes and dependent farmers. We will see the fruit of the seeds we planted in the faces of the inhabitants of God's kingdom. We will wear the victor's crown, the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And we will receive the greatest commendation of all. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Are these your goals? If they weren't before, they should be now, I hope.
Amen? Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.